Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Women in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today from Port Elizabeth is Professor Sibongile Mutwa, who is the Vice-Chancellor of Nelson Mandela University. She holds a PhD from the School of Oriental and African Studies from the University of London, an MSc in Development Policy and Planning from the London School of Economics and Political Science, a BA in Honours from WITS, and a BA in Social Work from Fortier University. Welcome to the show, Prof. Thanks for inviting us, and thanks. Um, I would like to also greet the listeners. Thank you so much. And one thing that I missed in the introduction, which is incredibly important, especially given the, the dynamics of our show, is that not only were you appointed as the Nelson Mandela University's first woman, but also the first African woman vice-chancellor. Yes, I am. So you currently lead the Nelson Mandela University, which is home to approximately 27,000 students who are potentially the future leaders of South Africa as well as the continent, whether that be in the public sector or the private sector. And I yeah. read that on your appointment, Prof. Swart said, Dr. Mutwa will inspire new generations to rise to the highest levels of achievement. We are absolutely delighted with her appointment. Further to that, Nelson Mandela immortalized the words, education is the most powerful weapon we can use to change the world. The Nelson Mandela University is the only university in the world which carries Nelson Mandela's name. It's an honor as well as an enormous responsibility. So could you please start by telling us about your strategic plans for the university? Thank you very much, Amalia. Um, yes, indeed, um, carrying Nelson Mandela's name uh, is a daunting uh, responsibility, but it's also an honor. Uh, so we are actually working hard to make sure that uh, in the work that we do, we are um, an academic and a scholarly expression of what our namesake stands for. Top in our agenda as a university is the transformation uh, of the university, particularly the transformation of the curriculum content, as well the transformation on how we deliver the curriculum. Uh, secondly, I would say that um, our other priority um, and plan is to not only re increase our research outputs, but also we need to diversify the pool of researchers. Uh, we need to build a cadre of the next generation of scholars from diverse backgrounds. So we're investing a lot of resources in making sure that uh, we build that pool uh, to build for the future. Because as you would have heard, that uh, the academy in South Africa uh, is faced by a situation of aging academics. So uh, we feel that in order to build for the future, we need uh, to generate uh, uh, new scholars uh, who are from diverse backgrounds. Thirdly, uh, I would like to, to emphasize the the scholarship of engagement. We are not the only university that uh, is concerned about engagement. As you know, that a public university in South Africa has got three missions, which is uh, the scholarship of teaching and learning, the scholarship of research and innovation, as well as the scholarship of engagement. 
we have uh, decided as a university that we are going to reframe engagement to make sure that uh, we tap into other knowledges that do not actually also sit in universities so that uh, we are in touch uh, with how uh, we can uh, conduct our scholarship in a manner that addresses uh, the challenge the challenges that uh, our country and our continent in particular face uh, issues around poverty inequality and unemployment when you speak about the engagement element, can you share a little bit more of, of what that's going to entail? Yes, uh, indeed. Um, as I have said, that uh, all universities, all public universities have got a responsibility to drive and to deploy a scholarship of engagement. Um, what we mean by that is that uh, our work uh, has to respond and be responsive and take cognizance uh, of uh, the challenges that uh, the society around us faces. Uh, But also uh, we need to place our university, uh, uh, our university's work in service to society. So um, we do not only uh, go out and work with communities because we need uh, to use them as recept- receptacles of uh, research and uh, our own knowledge generation, but also we would like to uh, deliberately shorten the social distance between uh, how the traditional university is understood and what is being uh, required of us now uh, in, in the 21st century. To, to put the work of the university in a position that it responds uh, to the commanding challenges that are facing the most marginalized people. So that is our uh, approach to, to engagement. The vision of the university states to be a dynamic African university, recognized for its leadership in generating cutting-edge knowledge for a sustainable future which obviously fits into part of the dynamics that we spoke about on, on innovation and research. Yes. Tell us more about how the rest of the continent features in the university's vision. It features very strongly. Uh, we have always had um, a number of partnerships, engagements with universities uh, across our continent. Many of these, however, are based uh, on a scientist-to-scientist uh, relationship. Uh, we've got much fewer uh, institution-to-institution um, uh, partnerships. Uh, we are trying to grow this. Uh, it is very, very important for us that uh, also we identify uh, universities and countries that have got a uh, synergy an alignment in their work to what we we want to do. Uh, So uh, we have um, a partnership, for example, with uh, the University of Makerere. Uh, We've got a partnership with uh, uh, Malawi University of Science and Technology, MAST. We have a a relationship with uh, a a number of universities in East Africa. But uh, going forward, uh, following our name, what we've... um, uh, committed for ourselves is to be deliberately African in our stance uh, in the manner that uh, we, uh, in the way uh, we conduct our science uh, so that we have a keen understanding and appreciation of societal problems that face uh, our continent. 
One of the project uh, 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 venture, if I can call it that, that we want to embark on is to uh, trace the footsteps uh, of Nelson Mandela. Uh, you'll remember that uh, um, just before uh, uh, Mr. Mandela was uh, arrested uh, back in the 60s, he visited a few countries to get support uh, for the work uh, that he was doing at the time uh, to fight for liberation. So uh, having committed then as a university that uh, we need uh, to be a scholarly and an intellectual expression of uh, social justice and human rights, so we need to go back. Uh, uh, of course, we'll continue to partner with the countries that we're already partnering with and universities that we're already partnering with, but also we would like to go back to the footsteps uh, uh, of Nelson Mandela as um, as an expression of our work using uh, the best that the, the university can use, which is the scholarly expression uh, of that brand. That sounds like a great legacy development that you're going to be initiating. And it also seems to tie into the point that you made earlier on looking at how the university is adjusting and updating its uh, curriculum content as well as its, its delivery of, of the content for, for transformation. Yes, indeed. Uh, we would like also to uh, speak of a curriculum that is inclusive, that uh, the multiplicity of experiences that uh, our academics, uh, our publics, our students, they bring to the learning uh, experience, that uh, encounter uh, uh, in the classroom, uh, in the research laboratories, uh, should also take on board uh, who is our student, where do they come from, what are their aspirations. And part of that is our appreciation of what it means to be African because it is in that manner where we can meet the rest of the world from a standing position. And what would you say it means to be African? To be African uh, means, um, I think it's the, the most uh, basic uh, understanding of, of our history, uh, of our struggles. Uh, uh, the archive uh, of Africa remains uh, largely hidden because, as you know, that uh, the university as a construct has been positioned uh, in the public sight as, as a Western construct. But some of the oldest universities were in Africa, and uh, we need to really uh, show this uh, when we teach our students. We need to surface this, that uh, actually some of the uh, best universities uh, were in North Africa, some of the best mathematicians uh, were from Egypt. Uh, contrary to uh, the understanding that uh, our students, uh, especially in South Africa since uh, we were uh, colonized for so long, uh, that uh, our students sometimes uh, do not fully understand uh, that uh, we have to work to, to affirm our own institutions uh, as the cradle uh, of knowledge as well. So for me, uh, our appreciation, our consciousness uh, that uh, South Africa is not uh, a country out of South Africa. South Africa is Africa. And uh, I think uh, this is what the students also uh, uh, in that period of fees must fall when they were talking about decolonization and transformation of the curriculum, they were actually saying, what is it of us that is in this curriculum that you are teaching us? So. 
for me to be African is uh, to have that deeper consciousness of what we stand for as African people in the space of knowledge creation. So in part it's about asserting our identity. It's about making sure that our research outputs as, as a country, as a continent, are, are shared and distributed and that we put our stamp on the academic map. We need to put our stamp on the academic map. Uh, Africans uh, and African institutions are highly uh, studied and researched by the West. And while that, uh, uh, because knowledge is freedom, so uh, while that happens, we need to prioritize uh, telling our own stories. We need to prioritize uh, uh, making sure that uh, the graduate attributes uh, of our students when they leave university, uh, they actually understand that wherever they settle in the world, uh, they are working and uh, their identity uh, should not forget uh, where where. Uh, they come from, and that is how uh, I think uh, the, the strong nations are, be- are, are, are really predicated on uh, sufficient uh, self-understanding and self-awareness and self-knowledge. You mentioned briefly Fismas Four, and obviously that was a, a significant student-led movement in South Africa where people were protesting against Universe, escalating university fees. We we saw the first wave in 2015 and again in, in 2016. Yes. Young people are known the world over for being catalysts of change. But yes. I understand that during this period, student affairs form part of your portfolio. So can you share with us how the dynamics of this movement steered change? What Fils um, Masfor did was to cause us as society, but particularly as a sector, to stand up and to appreciate that uh, things have not been going as well as they should have been going. While the, the, the centerpiece of the struggle was uh, for access and uh, for fees to fall, uh, more, but it was more than that. Uh, students not only wanted the fees to fall, but also they wanted uh, the symbols uh, of oppression that they felt that still existed uh, in universities to be challenged and to be displaced and to be removed. So that was part of what the students called for. Students were also calling for the reimagination and the reframing of the governance systems uh, of universities, which uh, they felt that they are not always uh, included or they are included as an afterthought. So uh, the whole uh, governance of universities, uh, the whole leadership of universities, and the extent to which they center the student was an important uh, call uh, that the students made. Uh, also, the students uh, were calling for the transformation, the so-called decolonization uh, of the of the curriculum. And then, student affairs indeed was part of my portfolio at that time. But not only that, uh, for eight months of the year 2016, which was the epitome, uh, the crescendo of the fees must fall. I was acting as a vice chancellor uh, of the university at the time for that eight months. So. Uh, I was uh, quite involved uh, in that process, 
And uh, I've noticed that uh, uh, there have been a lot of uh, writings that have come out about thieves uh, uh, must fall and uh, what happened at that time. And only some of the stories have been told. Uh, uh, universities, uh, especially previously white universities, uh, it was for the first time to have a mobilization of this kind. But uh, for me, uh, notwithstanding the fact that uh, some of the aspects uh, of that time were quite rough and quite traumatic for some members of staff and students, but uh, what it did is to actually help uh, the universities uh, to actually look very carefully at what have we done uh, and what is our ambition and our appetite for putting the student at the center uh, of our work. So uh, for me, uh, I think that uh, the, the fees campaign was a just campaign, but uh, I think um, uh, we can learn more uh, and I think we have learned more about how we should run universities from that period of time. Uh, so we should not lose those lessons. That was quite an introduction to you becoming the VC on a permanent basis. One would almost say it baptism by fire. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, it was um, um, very. <laughs> it was very robust and very. It was a very active time. Very uncertain time, and uh, what is required uh, at that time, what was required of us as the leadership, particularly f- from myself, is to steady uh, the university, to steady uh, the academics, to steady the students, uh, uh, and um, uh, engender hope uh, in the circumstances that we found ourselves in. And I think those stories are yet to be told, and there is a particular issue uh, also if you are a woman uh, leading in that environment. So for me, it was a a huge lesson. I got to know more about myself uh, than I did uh, before Fields Must Fall. And uh, I'm I'm grateful uh, uh, that our university at least has decided uh, not to waste uh, the lessons that came out of that crisis. And that's all one could hope for, uh, that those lessons are, are invested. This moves me on to our, our next topic of, of female leadership, where you've you've really had to to step up to the mark of of demonstrating all of those leadership capabilities to steady the ship, calm the storm, and move ahead. Yes. But when I look across our academic leadership, well, there are very few women occupying the VC posts. I mean, yes. A few that come to mind is obviously yourself, uh, Prof. Mamucheti Pacheng, UCT. Prof. Koliswa Motose from um, University of Zululand. In your opinion, what needs to happen to ensure that we manage to get more women up and making it to the top? Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, you know, it saddens me the fact that um, we get uh, lifted up because we are only four women. In fact, uh, Professor Togo Mayegiso is at uh, University of Mpumalanga. So as I speak, there are four women vice-chancellors in the sector. And clearly, uh, one would have loved uh, to be known uh, for having done a good job as a leader of a university, not to be known first and foremost as being uh, the first uh, woman and the first African woman and one of only the four vice-chancellors. So it is a a recognition that is... um, 
coming from a place which I, I wish we were not in. So uh, for us, uh, it is going to be important that um, uh, we, we, we start from the beginning because, uh, I mean, girls uh, need to know as they grow up that uh, they've got as much right and capacity uh, and, uh, and promise uh, to do uh, uh, as well as men can. But uh, we, we actually uh, have not uh, been able to do that. I, I, I don't just think it's a South African problem. I mean, in our continent, uh, there are very few uh, women vice-chancellors. And in the world, there are much fewer women vice-chancellors. So we, we need to have um, targeted uh, education at schools, uh, as well as uh, at the university when we uh, um, grow our own team uh, of our academics, we need to have special programs that support uh, um, women that are promising to be strong academics. But also just talking about that also, uh, um, my own path uh, to academia uh, was not a straight path uh, from uh, uh, coming from uh, being a junior academic and I did not work my way in the system. I actually have been half of my life working in a university and half of my life working in public life, in, in the public service. So uh, we must uh, rethink the leadership of universities because uh, it is important also uh, at the leadership uh, of at the levels in which we lead uh, for young people who want to take over, uh, young women who want to take over these positions of vice-chancellors and deputy vice-chancellors, that uh, it is important to know how the academic project works, but also, uh, for me, more importantly, uh, to have the full appreciation uh, of the human condition and uh, the role uh, then of scholarship uh, uh, in, in uh, addressing that human condition. So. For me, uh, uh, people that, uh, uh, women that come to lead uh, universities, they need to project uh, uh, the worldly perspective as well as uh, have the scholarly depth. And uh, I, I think that we then need to have targeted intervention uh, uh, for, for, for women uh, uh, scholars, for women leaders, uh, so that uh, we put them uh, at, at par, uh, uh, um, or perhaps uh, they they work at, uh, to believe that uh, they can just uh, lead because there is actually nothing uh, uh, um, that is stopping a woman uh, to lead well and to lead even better than men. So I think uh, young women scholars need to 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 understand that, and then we need to have targeted pro- programs uh, to support them. And that formalisation of programs that helps you to develop a pipeline. It helps you to yes. look at where the talent is. It helps you to, to nominate the right individuals, to nurture them so that you've, you've got succession planning. Yes, definitely. Uh, we, we are actually, um, at our university, we are starting um, the leadership, uh, the teaching and learning and leadership academy. And within that, uh, we want to target women scholars uh, so that, uh, and women leaders, uh, even if they are not academics, uh, because the issue of uh, leadership at the top level of universities uh, is actually uh, right across uh, the university sector. So uh, uh, as you go up the pipeline, you find that uh, the, the top leadership of universities 
as well as the top professors. They are dominated by males. And uh, so for us, it it means that we have to identify promising women and even identify women uh, that have got potential but who do not believe that uh, leadership of universities uh, is their forte. And then we need to deal with those assumptions. We need to provide training opportunities. We need also to make sure that they've got proximity to power and influence because uh, what actually tends to push um, a a woman up is that proximity, uh, that opportunity uh, to watch leadership and to participate uh, at at close range. And I find that uh, if uh, no one creates those uh, uh, spaces and make sure that there is that proximity for young uh, scholars to grow to the positions in which we occupy and to rebalance uh, uh, the, 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 the touch and feel of how the university leadership looks like, uh, it is not going to happen. So we need to intervene directly. It's almost like having a junior board where they're not at risk of, of making the wrong decisions, but they get the exposure and the, the indirect experience of, of what takes place so that when they are ready, they can ascend the ladder. Definitely, definitely. I, it, indeed. Uh, and also uh, what, what, what we are thinking about uh, as well in that regard is uh, what we call the post-service institute uh, where we try uh, to um, retain the, the scholars, uh, the leadership of university that uh, are progressive, that uh, are, are like mentors, uh, who can, uh, where we can attach uh, young people but young women in particular. Uh, who are wanting to work at university so that they've got direct uh, support in growing to be leaders uh, of universities. And uh, this will not happen uh, just, uh, it won't trickle down uh, to them. Uh, We need to identify them. Uh, I like your idea of a junior board, uh, but actually they need to have proximity uh, to a person like myself, to a senior DVC, uh, to a senior executive director, uh, to actually know how the dynamics of power and authority work and how to uh, deal with the issues uh, of um, self-doubt, the issues of... um, uh, feeling of uh, being less, uh, even though all the evidence uh, points to the contrary, that uh, you are talented, but uh, uh, the, the social, uh, uh, I think, ecosystem in which uh, we have grown up and we have been socialized does not always uh, indicate to women that uh, they can scale uh, the, the heights uh, of, of top achievement. And you know, all of those elements that you mentioned, they're not written in any textbook. That's the, the no. stuff that you, you get out of uh, osmotic connections with people who have walked that journey. Now, I'd like to ask you a bit more about your personal journey. You already mentioned that you, know, you, you haven't followed a, a traditional trajectory of, of rising up no. through the ranks of university, of being both in the academic sector as well as outside it. One of the questions that I'd like to ask you is about the factors that you consider have contributed to your success. Thank you. Um, Where do I start? Um, I I come from um, 
a background, a community. Uh, perhaps it's easy to say a home, but I come from a community uh, which um, was not privileged, but uh, which uh, believed uh, in the importance uh, of education as a game changer. So uh, I've, always, I've, I've always known and I've always seen evidence uh, that uh, education is a game changer. And um, at heart, uh, uh, I believe in uh, service before self. Uh, that was instilled in me uh, as a young person. So uh, if you look at my career, it has uh, been a career. Of course, I'm a, I'm a leader of the university at this point in time, but I come from a perspective uh, uh, of service. So I grew, I grew up from a home where... Um, I was brought up by mainly by my grandparents, by my grandfather in particular, who believed that uh, there is no job for a man or for a woman. Uh, that's, that, uh, that's pretty unusual uh, for the time. Yes, yes, it is pretty unusual for the time. My grandfather never went uh, to a formal school. He schooled himself, and uh, he was a social entrepreneur of his time. And then he believed uh, that I could be, um, I was a promising child and I could be anything that I wanted to be. So I've always, I've always, I've always uh, uh, notwithstanding the traditional home that I came from, I've always believed that uh, I can do anything that I set my mind on. But having said that, though, uh, no one can achieve anything alone. Uh, I mean, I come from a closely knit uh, community which uh, uh, supported a child that uh, has got promise. And I've been very fortunate uh, to have mentors in my life, to have uh, uh, people who saw talent in me, which I didn't see. Uh, And uh, part of the work that I've promised uh, and I've committed my life to do is to identify and support uh, young people with promise, particularly young women with promise so that uh, they have self-belief, so that they do not have to wait uh, for many years that some of us have waited before uh, we do the jobs that we do, uh, so that uh, they've got an early leap uh, to opportunity. So uh, I spend a lot of my time uh, uh, dedicating my time to that because uh, that is where I come from. Well, I don't think your your role could be better placed in terms of being able to nurture young people and and groom them for for the future definitely yes and and also just to be a role model you know i'm quite aware of um, uh, it's 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 a burden but it's also a privilege uh, to actually know that um, there are so many young people that uh, uh, when they look at me they they become hopeful that uh, it's all going to be fine because if she can do it, I can also do it. So, I mean, for me, uh, it's not just how well do I do the job, but also how well do I uh, keep that promise, uh, uh, keep that possibility alive when a young person uh, uh, looks at me and how uh, I carry my work, I carry myself. And that provides the, the, the inspiration you mentioned that your grandparents looked after you as, as you were growing up. Could you share a couple of pivotal moments in your life that, that made you to be the person you are today? Yes. Uh, 
<laughs> Thank you very much. I, I actually, what is not known uh, much publicly is that um, I went to a Catholic boarding school, a girls-only school. Um, my grandparents were one of those first um, uh, <laughs> uh, persons that uh, became uh, Christians. And then in the part of the country where I come from, uh, the Catholic Church is very strong. So I actually went to a Catholic boarding school. And then all that you do in boarding school which is sport and reading. And uh, for me, uh, I had a lot of time to think about my career uh, because you do two things. You do sport and then you do, you do reading. So I read about, um, I worked in the library as a, as a student uh, in in my boarding school, so I spent all the time uh, surrounded by books, and uh, I I decided uh, to learn about um, persons. I remember as a young person seeing the picture of uh, of Winnie Mandela, for example. Uh, that I mean, she was a social worker, and then I said that perhaps that is what I want to do uh, uh, to save humanity, and that is the first uh, profession that I took. So for me, it was pivotal uh, that um, I had an opportunity to leave the village as a young person and be in the boarding school and actually to have a lot of time to read about the world, to think about my identity, to hone my identity, uh, so, so, so that um, uh, I had a lot of time to think about the choices that I needed to make. So th for me, that was, that was important. But also, um, uh, and I still mention it a few times when I'm asked, when I was younger, uh, I was taught that um, it is important to always create a moment uh, of reflection, uh, a moment of contemplation by yourself. So I feel to this day that that was the biggest lesson I learned from my grandfather, that uh, you, you, you have to wake up uh, when the world is still still and think uh, about, about yourself, about the world, about your contribution. So for me, uh, up to now, the quietest uh, times uh, uh, of, re of reflection are the times and opportunities I use uh, to think about the new directions in which I can lead the university, in which I can contribute to the leadership of the of um, of, of society in the space that I am in. So for me, um, the the lesson to face up uh, uh, to yourself and to be in touch with who you are is a hallmark of sound leadership, and it's something that I live by, which I learned at the foot of my grandfather as a young girl that many years ago. That's a, a strong message of authenticity and also an incredible journey going from village to VC. Yes, thank you. It is. It is. Uh, it's been, um, yeah, it's been remarkable and I'm, and I'm grateful for all the support that uh, I, 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 I've been given by my family, by my community, by my colleagues. Uh, I've got a strong ecosystem uh, of support uh, of of uh, persons that have always believed in myself more than I did. And lastly, as we close out our conversation today, could you please share a few words of inspiration or wisdom that you'd like to pass on to young ladies 
in the continent that are listening to the show? Yes, um, I, my, my, my understanding from the bottom of my heart is that a, a woman can be anywhere they choose to be. I mean, we need to be alive uh, to opportunities uh, of support, and then we need to uh, have courage uh, to grab opportunities uh, that, that we get. And, uh, but also, uh, I really uh, believe that um, uh, it is, we need to understand also that uh, it is fine to be vulnerable. It is fine to be doubtful. It is fine to have fear. Uh, and then uh, the extent to which you are in touch with that fear, with that self-doubt, and then you turn it into strength uh, is actually uh, something that women still have to uh, rise up to. And uh, I, al- I always also say uh, to, to young people, to young women in particular, that um, I, I believe that we lead not only in a a strategic and a tactical uh, manner, but we bring compassion uh, into the leadership uh, positions that we have. So I've said to my students, uh, you must uh, continue to hold common values because uh, everyone wishes for what you have uh, already. So there's always someone who is in a worse position than you are. And I find that a, a well-rounded leader who inspires hope uh, is uh, the leader that uh, is able to take forward uh, the aspirations of the next generation. So that would be my advice to young women. Thank you so much for joining us. And really your your insight into leadership attributes of not just about the, the technical components and getting the job done, but also the holistic view that you bring through is is very refreshing on the soft skills and the the motivation to inspire thank you so much for joining us thank you thanks for having me thank you bye bye you have been listening to womanity woman in unity on channel africa the african perspective and we have been talking to professor sibongile mutwa who is the vice chancellor of the nelson mandela university